life. Just not reading, but reading and taking God's word and placing it into your heart. The word of God has to find a place in your heart. That's the second truth that Jesus brings out from his conversation with these people. Now come to verse 31. There's another thing that you need to think of just like the singular word. Okay? So I'll see if you discover it. Read 31 again. Read verse 31 again. John 8, 8.31. Okay. So what he says abide and word and what else does he use? Huh? What else does he say? No. <laughs> I'm giving you two hints. He says abide and word. What else does he say? What's the word between abide and uh, word? <laughs> the word in I'm giving you a hint also the word in you must abide in the word what does that mean abiding in the word somebody explain this and I think it's beautiful uh, you know a magnet a magnet a magnet has a magnetic field right so when you are students when I was also a student, we made that diagram. You remember that diagram? The magnet field? So if an iron comes into the magnetic field, what happens? It pulls it in, right? So being in the world is for you and me to be in the influence of God's word. Are you getting the point? For you and me to be in the influence of God's word. Now, if you place the iron somewhere far away, will it have any effect? No, the magnet will not attract it to itself. It's outside what? The force field. So, being in the word means you must be in the force field of the world. What would that mean? What would that mean? If the word of God is truth, you must be persuaded by the truth of scriptures. You must be persuaded by the truth of scriptures. You must come into the influence of the truth of the scriptures. You must allow it to change you, the truth. You must allow to set you free. You must allow the way it's swelling in your life. That's what it means to be in the world. If the word of God is beautiful, the moral and spiritual beauty of the word of God should so attract me and draw me closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. You must be in that way. If you go, go away from that way, you will not feel and experience the effect and the power that the Word of God can have in your life. So be in the sway 
of the moral and the spiritual beauty of the word of God. If the word of God is valuable, you must be captured by the preciousness of the word of God. The word of God must become your treasure. You don't have you don't read your Bible because somebody tells you to read the Bible, but because it is so precious. As you come to the sweat of the preciousness of the word, oh you are so lifted up. And you, you don't want to let go. You want to continue in that word. That's what Paul is trying to communicate, or Jesus is trying to communicate to you and me. If you are in the first field of the power and the grace of the word of God, have you experienced the word of God convicting you and bringing change in your life? Yes? No? Yes or no? Yes or no? Absolutely. As you read or as you hear, hear God's, the power of God, you breaks your heart. And for you to be in the sway of that, the power and the grace of God, is what Jesus is telling when he says, be in the word. Jesus says, the word of God is like bread. It sustains us, it nourishes us. And how will you receive that nourishment? When you are in the sway of the word of God. Jesus said, you do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of my mouth, of God's mouth. To be in the sway of the nourishing word of God, you are spiritually, you know, enthused uh, uh, and uh, you are built up. If you are in the field, a first field of the word, that is the living water, the living water. If that is the force field you are in, you are refreshed, encouraged, blessed, blessed. So that's where you need to be in the word. If you if you are in the force field of the word that is the light, then your mind is what? Illumined. You understand. Deep secrets are opened up. But it will be opened if you are in the sway of the word of God you are in the first field that's what Jesus meant by when he said be in the word of God the next thing Jesus says <clears throat> abiding also involves hearing God's word verse 42, 43 and 47 John chapter 8 verse 42, 43, and 47. 42, 43, and 47. Yes? Jesus said to, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I did not come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand this? Because I, what I say It is because you cannot what? Bear to hear my word. 
And what does he say in verse 47? Whoever is of God, hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear the word of God is that you are not of God. So what is another way of abiding in the word? Hearing. So when you come to church, when you come to camp, when you are listening to God's word, what are you doing? You are abiding in his word. So do it as often as you can. Hear God's word. You are abiding in his word. Jesus cannot understand these people. You cannot bear to hear me. Hannah? Because you you don't want to hear God. I remember a friend of ours, their son, uh, he went to a Bible college. Very, very good young man. He went to Bible college and he lost his faith. He lost his faith. Because they were teaching all kinds of things. It's a liberal college and they taught all kinds of... He lost his faith. He lost his confidence in the Bible. And so, in have, having a conversation with him, he, he, he told me, I don't think God has given me this gift of faith. His understanding of faith was it was a gift from God. So, either I had it or I did not have it. But what does scripture say? How does faith come? By hearing. So I told him, why don't you go to church? Why don't you listen to God's word? Because God's word has the power to bring faith in your life. Hear God's word. That's another aspect to abiding in his word. Verse 45 and 46, not only hearing, but something else, Jesus says. What does he say? Verse 45 and 46, because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Why do you not believe me? So, you hear God's word and then what do you do? You believe it. There's another aspect of abiding, believing the word of God. If God gives you a promise, what should you do with it? When you read in the scriptures, if God gives you a promise, what should you do with it? What should you do with it? Believe it. If you don't believe it, well, it's of no use for you. You have to believe it to see that promise outworking in your life. So not only be hearers, but be believers of God's word. Okay, 48 to 52. One last thing he says. What does he say? Not one last thing. Ah, just tell me. Ah. You're a Samaritan and a demon. You have a demon. Ah. Jesus says, I don't have a demon. I honor my father. And you dishonor me. I am not seeking my own glory. There is one who seeks it. He is the judge. Truly, truly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Okay, what is this? 
abiding in Christ, keeping the word of God. Keeping the word of God. Not only hearing, not only believing, but keeping the word of God. If you keep the word of God, you have, you will pass from death into life. What does keeping the word of God mean? In the great commission Jesus gave, Matthew 28, 20, what does he say? Go into all the world, make disciples, teaching them to obey or in other words, observe or to keep my teachings. So keeping the the teachings uh, 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 is to to obey the teaching. Alright? Alright, so we've seen a few things here. Alright? So abiding in the word actually involves our whole personality. If you notice carefully all the things that we saw about abiding in the word, it includes all our human personality. Knowing with our what? Minds. Hearing with our Yes. Receiving with our hearts. And what else? And then obeying. Obeying is what? If if, if keeping is in our hearts, what is obeying? No obeying. No, no. How do you obey? How can you obey? What do you exercise when you obey? You (laughs) obey. You guys are a little bit slow. <laughs> your will. You exercise your will in obedience. Your will. And then the actions, the outworking. Okay? So the whole human personality is involved in this abiding in the word of God. So if I ask you on a scale of 1 to 10, how are you doing it abiding in God's word? <laughs> what will you say? Don't ask. Don't ask. <laughs> what will you say? What do we want in our Christian life? What is it we want in our Christian life? Just early morning, five minutes reading scriptures, is that enough to make you a fruitful Christian? Tell me, is that enough? No. Why is our life so fruitless? It's because we have not really understood what it really means to abide. And if we, even if we have now understood some, to some level, it, it doesn't remain. We, we just forget it after this camp. It's all forgotten. We are back to our ways. Beloved, make it a habit to be live in the force field of God's word. That's why Psalm 1 says, what does Psalm 1 say? 
I will meditate on it day and what does that mean? Don't go for work? Don't sleep? What does that mean? Live in the first field. You read something in the morning. Let that go through your mind and live in the first field of that truth that you have learned. Live in the first field right through the day. Live in the first field. Allow it to change you. Allow it to change the way you speak. Allow it to change the way you behave. Allow it to encourage you if you are discouraged. Allow it to challenge you if you are missing hope. Live in the first field of God's word. It means you never cease being in that force field. You are constantly there. So how do we do this? How do we practically do this? There are some things which all of us know, but I think every camp we are taught again. Have a quiet time. Most camps we are taught again and again. Have a quiet time. <laughs> but there are two parts to the disciplines of the word. One is the outward form and the second is the inward grace that goes with it. Alright? The outward form and the inward grace. If the inward grace is not there and the outward form is there, then it becomes something that you are doing like a habit which will not change you, which will have no effect in you. So along with a, a, a habit, you have to have this inward grace working together. So first of all, the outward grace, read God's word regularly, alright? Not just with daily bread, please. Or you must say, yes, CBF, we don't do daily bread, we do toll trips. No, no, not even that. Okay, you can have that on the side uh, to gain some insights, but you, huh? John, John Piper, whoever, he's reformed, if you, uh, he's, a, he's a reformed theologian. Uh, so you will, McDonald, is this? William, <laughs> William McDonald. Okay, good things to have. I'm not saying no, but don't compensate that for your personal study with God in, with His Word. Don't compensate it with your personal time with God and His Word. Alright? So, uh, do that. Read God's Word constantly. Second, meditate. Meditate. Fill your mind with it. What you're reading. What you're learning. In such a way that there is some practical application of all that you are reading. You digest the Word. That's important. Third, hearing God's word. Use whatever means possible to constantly listen to God's word. Okay? Don't make it a, 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 a legalistic thing, but you, like I told, put in this inward grace. The inward spiritual response of the heart to what is read. These inward graces of faith, hope and love and delight and worship and humble submission that should go along with your reading. Along with your reading all these things should be added. It should go 
with the best inward graces has to go. We need the promise, I told you, we pray believing the promise. You pray the promise, believing in that promise. Another important thing for the inward grace is to invite the Holy Spirit as you read in God's Word. Because the natural man, the natural man, hello, CBF, the natural man does not understand the things of God because they are spiritual. So who needs, who do you need to reveal deep things of scriptures? The Holy Spirit of God. So if you want to build these inward graces, you invite the Holy Spirit every time you sit down to read your word and ask him to help you understand and reveal deep truth, uh, deep truth, uh, truths to you. And then the Holy Spirit, as you read, convicts you of sin. What do you do? What do you do? You confess that. You confess that. You set it right. When the Holy Spirit, when you read a scripture and convicts you of an attitude that is not right, what do you do? If the Holy Spirit, as you read God's word, convicts you the way you talk to somebody the day before, what do you do? What do you do? You repent and tell that person, I'm sorry. This is how I dealt with you. It was wrong. I apologize. Allow the Spirit of God as you read to convict you. To bring you to a place where you can see changes happening in your life. You know, you know, if you learn just little, but you are applying that little in your life, it is better than knowing more and not applying it in your life. You got the point? You know little, you apply that in your life. It's not a big deal if you know a whole lot and you are not applying in your life, it in your life. There was this man, any timekeeper doing show the paper, no? Okay, because, okay, thank you. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, what was I saying? There was a man who... Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, I forgot. Uh, anything, anybody give me a little hand, hint what I was saying? A man who was... Ah, there was a man in the church, in the church. Many years he was a deacon in the church. But he never changed. He was this cribbing chap who always found fault with everybody. He never had an encouraging word to say. He, he used to fight with people. If somebody sat in his chair, boy, that Sunday, you know, <laughs> there was chaos in the church. But every time he came to church, he used to say, no, free me. Sorry. No, free me. Okay? Every time he came to church, what did he say? One day, God sitting next to him, Lord, don't fill him, he leaks. <laughs> What about leaky Christians? Huh? Everything and then leaks away. It doesn't have any effect in our lives. And that is a terribly sad, uh, sad thing. Very terribly sad thing. Alright, I have 15 minutes, so now I will tell you 
an example of a man who lived, who abided in the word. All right? So turn with me. Turn with me to Ezra chapter 7 and verse 6. Ezra chapter 7 and verse 6. Ezra chapter 7 and verse 6. This Ezra came from Babylon. He was a teacher well versed in the law of Moses. Which the Lord the God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all that he asked. Okay. You remember Matthew, uh, John chapter 15 verse 7? What do you do if you abide in the word? Whatever you ask, will be granted. So here is a man who is very versed in God's word and everything he asked the king, whatever the king gave. Why? Read verse 10. Read verse 10. Why? Why did this happen? Verse 10. You have to tell me three things about Ezra. Okay? From verse 10 you have to tell me what? Three things about Ezra. Now read. Hmm. Okay. Tell me what are the three things. Very easy, no? Number one. He prepared his heart to study God's word. You prepare your heart before you study God's word. Alright? Don't just get up in the morning, okay, okay, I have to read this one chapter. They have told us one year you have to finish the Bible. <laughs> Don't do that. What do you do? Prepare your heart to read God's word. Number two, to do something about it. <laughs> That's why there needs to be preparation. So when you receive the word of God and the word of God speaks to you, you need to be ready to do something about it in your life. That's the second thing he did. Alright, what's the third thing he did? He, He taught others. He taught others. So these are three things that you and I should do. So he did not study to increase his knowledge, but he studied to live according to it. He not only lived according to it, he taught. See, when you live according to God's word, then you have the knowledge you teach somebody else. If you are not living out what you are learning, you have no authority to teach anybody, do you? There will be no authority of what you are preaching. You can pick the best sermon. Somebody may pat you on the back. But nothing more than that will happen. Verse 22. Read verse 22. Hello? Verse 22. Praise be to God, the God of our ancestors who has put into the king's heart to bring honor to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem in this way. And we have, he who has extended his good favor to me before the king and his advisors and on the king's powerful officials. Verse 21. Can I read verse 21? Now read, I want you to read. I want you to discover something. Time is up? No, no, which chapter? Sorry. Uh, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, 
Ezra, Ezra, we're reading Ezra, no? Seven. No? Is it read verse 21? That's what I want to read. That's what I want to read. Okay, okay, okay. Here, listen. CBF, read it carefully because I'm going to ask you some questions. All right? Okay. Even I, Artaxerxes, the king, issue a decree to all the treasurers who are in the region beyond the river that whatever Ezra, the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, may require of you, let it be done diligently. Okay. And then what did you ask for? Up to 100 talents of silver. Okay. 100 pores of wheat. Okay. 100 baths of wine. Okay. 100 baths of oil. Okay. And salt. Okay. Without prescribed limit. Okay. Tell me, what did you ask for? What did you ask for? What did you ask for? Meat, wine, oil. Everything in unit, correct? How much meat? How much oil? How much wine? Anything else? Salt. 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 Why? Why salt without limit? But they had low blood pressure, is it? All those who had low blood pressure, is it? But why salt without limit? Salt is a preservative. Salt is a preservative. Anything? So food without salt is not tasty. <laughs> Huh? And flavor. No, none of these things are correct. They may be true, but they are not correct. For why he asked salt for without any limit. Read. Leviticus chapter 2 verse 13. Leviticus chapter, that's why I told you, even the Old Testament is included. You are abiding in God's word, okay? You guys have not been abiding, so you don't know the answer. <laughs> Okay, and not that I know all the answers, please. <laughs> I'm just telling you, it's an example, isn't it? And every offering of your grain offering. Every offering of your grain offering. You shall season with salt. You shall season with. So why did he talk, take salt without limit? Not only is grain, every offering, if you read scriptures, every offering, any offering that was given should be what? Seasoned with salt. Otherwise it was not acceptable to God. It was not acceptable to God. So here is a man, okay, five minutes. Here is a man of God who knows scriptures. So when he is asking for things from the king, he doesn't forget one thing. What is that? Salt without limit. Why? Because worshipping his God was priority for him. Worshipping God was priority for him. Because he dug deep in God's word. He spent time with God's word. He discovered secrets. And then he applied that. And here was a man. You know, he took on salt with him so that he can offer it to the Lord. Read Luke 14 verse 43. Luke 14 verse 43. The minimum demand for discipleship is what? 
forsake all that he possesses, recognize your total bankruptcy so that his sole wealth is vested in the one whom God has credited to him in the person and by the presence of his divine spirit. without substitute. It's a substitute. It's a salt that has lost his savor. So the salt that we speak of in, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, it is what? The Holy Spirit of God. Okay? It is the Holy Spirit of God. First Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16. First Corinthians 3 16. Ephesians 1 12 13. Ephesians 1 12 13 if you read. You read Ephesians 1, 12 and 13? Then we'll come to 1 Corinthians 3, 16. The sealed with what? The old covenant, your sacrifices, sealed with what? Salt. The new covenant, sealed with what? The Holy Spirit. So, the salt is a picture of the Holy Spirit. He's telling us that without the Spirit's help and empowerment, nothing you do for the Lord is effective or meaningful. He talks about grace upon grace. He talks about your conversation that will be seasoned with salt. Grace and salt are linked again. Because my time is up, I'm, I'm hurrying it a, 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 little, a, a little bit. But finally, if you see, in Nehemiah chapter 18 verse 1, Nehemiah chapter 18 verse 1, this man prepared himself to study God's word, to live by it, to teach others. And when the time came, God took him and used him. Read Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1. people gathered huh. Huh. they told Israel now you come and do what read for us the scriptures why did they call Israel not somebody else because he knew scriptures and people knew he knew scriptures and then what does happen read on Verse 8 Ezra read clearly, he read clearly or distinctly, and then he he instructed them and explained to them and caused them to understand. This is Ezra. All this time spent in reading God's word. Was, was it wasted? No. When the time came, God brings Ezra up. And he reads. And what happens? There is complete repentance and confession and then turning back to God. People were weeping. 
and turning back to God. And Isaiah says, don't, don't weep. This is not the time for weeping. This is time for celebration. And you make something and give people who don't have. The people are perishing without nourishment, food, scriptures. And you and I who, who are receiving from God constantly, we need to give it out. We need to bless people with what we have. But God will take you and use you in the opportune times if you are a person like Ezra. Following those three principles in your life. So I pray you will abide in the word just like Ezra abided. And I tell you, I tell you this with confidence that God will take you and use you for his glory. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this time where we could sit at your word and listen to it. To begin to understand in some little way the preciousness of your word. Oh Lord, so fill us with deep conviction that without your word we can never know you. And without knowing you, we have no life. Oh Lord, Help us to be people like Ezra. Help Sibirth to be people like Ezra. Help Sibirth to abide in your word. And make them fruitful. Bless them. Use them. And glorify your name in and through their life. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the grace you have given me to share your word. We ask that you will take glory in everything. We give you thanks and pray in the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.